Our reading for today is from Mark chapter 1, and uh, we're starting at verse 21 uh, this morning. So if you've got your Bibles, or it's up there on the screen, uh, so please follow along and uh, we'll share this reading. Then Pauline's going to come and uh, open up this passage to us and challenge us through God's Word today. So they went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Just then a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, What is this? A new teaching and with authority? He even gives orders to impure spirits and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever and they immediately told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand and helped her up. The fever left her and she began to wait on them. That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all who were ill and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak, because they knew who he was. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place, where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, Let us go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so that I can preach there also, for that is why I came. Amen. Pauline. Let's pray as Pauline comes to uh, share God's word with us today. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's powerful, that it's effective, that it challenges us, that it changes our direction and that it, uh, it causes us to rejoice in you. Just uh, use Pauline today as your mouthpiece to open up your word. May uh, this word come afresh into our hearts, and may it transform us more into your likeness, Jesus, in your name. Amen. It had been a wildly successful day in Capernaum. It started with a stir in the synagogue. Jesus taught the assembled congregation with authority, like he really knew what he was talking about. And then he delivered a man from an evil spirit. News about Jesus started to spread. Then Jesus, with his first four disciples, that's Simon, Andrew, James, and John, went to the home of Simon's mother-in-law. They were told she was ill with a fever, so Jesus helped her up from the bed and healed her. Now the news was going viral, and as soon as the Sabbath ended at sunset, the whole town turned up on the doorstep, bringing the sick and the demon-possessed for Jesus to heal. We don't know how late into the night the healing session went, but overall, as ministry launches go, This was spectacular. And so we can imagine that come the next morning, with the crowds once again jostling at the door, that Simon and James and John and Andrew were 
somewhat perplexed to realize that Jesus wasn't there. Someone in the crowd thinks that their second cousin's friend saw Jesus heading across the fields just as it started to get light. And so the four of them scramble off in that direction and they find Jesus and they say, come on, everyone's looking for you. Let's go somewhere else, says Jesus. Pardon? Let's go somewhere else to the nearby villages. But Jesus the crowds. Let's go to the nearby villages so that I can preach there too. That's why I have come. Day two of Jesus' public ministry and he's already on the move. Why? Because very early in the morning when it was still dark, he had got up and left the house and gone off to a solitary place and prayed. And that time spent alone with the Father had resulted in him knowing that he had to move on. The Father's message needed to get out, and there was literally a lot of ground to cover. And time again in the Gospels, we see this pattern of Jesus getting up and going off on his own to somewhere solitary to pray. We hear about it after a major miracle, like the feeding of the 5,000. Mark tells us that Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. And after leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. Or maybe it was before a big decision like choosing the 12 apostles. Luke says that Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. And then when the morning came, he called his disciples and he chose 12 of them whom he designated apostles. And yet it wasn't just at major moments that Jesus went away to pray on his own. Luke in chapter 5 verse 16 says, Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. He often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Now the word for lonely can also be translated as desolate or solitary or wilderness and you're probably aware that the Bible shows us a long history of encounters with God in the wilderness. Hagar, Moses, Elijah, and many, many more in the Old Testament met God in the desert or on mountainsides. And last week, Tom reminded us of God's presence with the Israelites for 40 years as they wandered through the wilderness. Tim also reminded us that before his public ministry, Jesus spent 40 days alone in the wilderness facing down temptation. In the Bible, the desert is a place of encounter with God and of facing up to our own weaknesses and temptations. And you may be interested to know that after Jesus, starting in the third century, there was a movement known as the Desert Fathers and the Desert Mothers. And this is where people deliberately gave up everything and moved into the desert on their own. And the idea was that they would battle with their own weaknesses and temptations and encounter God and come through to a place of deep relationship with God. 
in the desert, in the silence and the solitude, you can't hide from either God or yourself. Now, Jesus himself didn't live in the desert. He was very much a people person, and he lived and worked with ordinary folk. But this regular habit of going to solitary places was to create time and peace and space away from the crowds, time to reflect on what was taking place, to talk to the Father and receive instructions, to just be with the Heavenly Father and experience his love. And by doing this, Jesus was able to then carry the Father's love and wisdom into the coming day or whatever lay ahead. Jesus says in John 5, 19 and 20, Truly I tell you, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees the Father doing, because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. And these times of solitude and encounter with God enable Jesus to see what the Father was doing so that he could reflect that in his ministry. I wonder if you've ever thought about what might have taken place in those encounters between Jesus and the Father. We do occasionally get a glimpse in the gospel about what goes on, but we don't get a lot of detail And to my mind, I'm thinking that there were often times of joy, perhaps even laughter, at amazing miracles like the feeding of the 5,000. I'm sure that Jesus and the Father also shared grief over the attitude of the Pharisees, their complete misunderstanding of who God was. Perhaps there was singing with Jesus using the word of the ancient Psalms to express his love for what the Father was doing. And maybe many times he simply knelt in silence, just being with God and being open to his voice. Mother Teresa, the 20th century nun, said that listening is the beginning of prayer. She said, God speaks in the silence of the heart, and we listen. And then we speak to God from the fullness of our hearts, and God listens. And this listening and this speaking is what prayer is meant to be. Now, this listening and speaking was so important to Jesus that he deliberately got away from the crowds in order to do it. It was essential for who he was and what he'd come to do. I'm sure you've heard it said that if Jesus, the Son of God, needed to get away to spend time with the Father, then surely we, with all our weaknesses and failings, need to do the same. After all, Jesus expects us to pray. Tim reminded us a few weeks ago that when the disciples asked Jesus how how they should pray, he said, when you pray, when, not if. At this point, you might be thinking, well, that's all well and good, but you know what? I come to church on Sunday morning and I pray with everyone and I'm in a small group and I pray there. So is it really that important that I pray on my own? Well, I would say it is important and that it matters to God and it matters to our souls. 
Those of you who've read The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Homer may remember a comment that where he said, solitude is when you set aside time to feed and water and nourish your soul. We don't face the crowds that Jesus faced. I don't think I've ever woken up and found a crowd of people queuing on my doorstep wanting my words of wisdom. But we do face crowds of demands each day. So many things that need to be done, like getting to work, getting the children to school, sorting the home insurance, taking the car for an MOT, washing, shopping, cooking, cleaning, things that have consequences if we don't do them. And then the good things, spending time with family and friends, hobbies, serving the Lord, and then the distractions, the demands for our attention from TV and the internet and our phones. Many of the demands on us do not feed and water and nourish our souls. You see, God has breathed his spirit deep within us, and our deep need is to connect back with God. The Christian poet George Herbert said that prayer is God's breath in man returning to his birth. When we pray, we return to our source. It's where we find strength and direction. It's what gets us through when support from others is withdrawn, a pandemic, a time of sickness. Our faith can't depend on other people. It must be something that's between us and God. And yet, isn't it still often hard to find time to pray? And I was really puzzling over this when I was preparing because I was thinking, well, I know what it's like to actually have some wonderful times of prayer. There have been times when I have just sat and smiled at God because it's been so great simply to be in his presence. Or I've read something in the Bible that's really filled me with awe and wonder. And there have been times when I know I've prayed with real fervor for people or situations, and I've felt like I've really connected with God. So why am I so reluctant to often put in the effort? Now, it may be connected to what we said earlier about silence and solitude, because in the silence and the solitude before God, we can't hide. And if there are things in our lives that need addressing, God is probably going to have something to say about it. But if I'm honest, I'm often lazy. I'd rather watch a bit more TV, check something on my phone. And that makes me realize that actually you and I can hurt God. The Bible is full of how much God loves his people. He calls us beloved. He says, I have called you by name. You are mine. He loves us so much that he sent Jesus to die for us, to take away the barriers to our relationship with him. And in any friendship or relationship, there is hurt if the one who is loved doesn't want to be with the person who loves them. And I find that quite a sobering thought that I can hurt God by my attitude. 
And so I think there are things we need to consider if we really do want to follow Jesus' example and spend time alone with God. And the first of these is that there is a spiritual battle. So the devil rejoices when we're lazy because he definitely doesn't want us spending time with God in prayer. The hymn writer William Cooper said, Satan trembles when he sees the weaker saint upon their knees. The devil knows the power of prayer and he'll do his best to remind us of how tired we are or how much we've got to do and don't we just need a break from having to concentrate on God? And then there are the practicalities. So if you're in a very busy household with children running around, you may have to talk to your partner about how you will handle this, how you will make sure that each of you has space to spend time with God. If you're the only Christian in your household and the others are not very keen on your faith, you may have to take yourself out of the house and go somewhere else to pray. And then when do we pray? We're usually told that really we ought to pray in the morning to be ready for the day ahead. I'm definitely not a morning person. And so I think that it's better to find a time of day when you're really at your best because then you're much more likely to be able to truly worship God and listen to him. And maybe you don't know what to do when you get in God's presence. When I was a younger Christian, we used to be given um, the little acronym ACTS, which stands for Adoration, Confession, Thanksgiving, and Supplication. And it's good to remember that adoration and praise are part of our time with God, thanking him, praying for others, confessing where we've gone wrong. And I would add in taking time to read his word, which you can do with the help of Bible reading notes, and listening to God. And when we do all this, we do actually have to be prepared to switch off the TV, close the laptop, put our notifications on mute, because we can't be like Jesus and listen to God if we have the world's voice shouting in our ear. Above all, we need to remember that prayer is a response to invitation. In Psalm 27, King David says this, Hear my voice when I call, O Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. The line, my heart says of you, seek his face, can apparently also read, to you, O my heart, he, God, has said, seek my face. To you, O my heart, he has said, seek my face. We're going to have a moment of silence um, very soon where we are going to seek God's face. But before we do, I want to say that the wonder of all this is that God, the creator of the universe, the source of all goodness, justice, mercy, and love, speaks to the deepest parts of our being and says, seek my face. He calls us to him to feed our souls, 
to give us direction for our lives, to hear our prayers for others. He wants his own goodness to change our lives so that through this, his love and mercy can be made known. And the question is, will we respond to his invitation? Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. To you, O my heart, he has said, seek my face. Amen. So I would like us now to actually have a couple of minutes in silence. We're obviously not in solitude, but we can still be quiet before God without distractions. And that verse is up on the screen. To you, O my heart, he has said, seek my face. And you can meditate on that or simply sit in God's presence and let him speak to you. And for anyone at home, I would encourage you to do the same. And let's use this time just to connect with the Heavenly Father who longs to spend time with us.